Stee, how are ye? Welcome back to the Candle Tales podcast where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore and chat about them afterwards. This is the fourth episode of our new series, The Tawn Mosaic. So if you haven't heard the first three, you should go back and listen to them. Because in this series we're retelling the ancient tale, The Tawn, from multiple perspectives. And this mosaic of perspectives will be all telling the whole Tawn from various points of view. It's a story of tragedy and frustration and ruin and war, basically. What's it really good for? But this tale will be told from an Ulster man's perspective, a man named Leg. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors on Patreon. You can join them at patreon.com forward slash or you can make a one-time donation on the PayPal button on our website. Like, share, comment, but above all, enjoy these tales. Now, Surika, tell us a story, will you? The sun over Tara rose misty and then clear. The sky was that pale, hazy winter blue that seemed further away than the summer sky. And Leg McGringbra paced restlessly. One of the problems, one of the problems of being the charioteer of Cucullan was that Cucullan had a gesh on him. Never to be woken from sleep. When he was a boy, he had slept with a stone under his pillow, and one morning when a servant came to waken him, he'd grasped that stone and thrown it, and killed that servant dead. So it was a gesh well earned. And now, especially now on the brink of war, Laig had no desire to break a gesh, to bring even more doom down on them than the doom that was already on their border. Or as Laig feared as the morning wore on, the doom that was already across their border. So he was not going to wake Cúchulain, but the knowledge gnawed at Laig. Every second that went by, every heart beat felt like the steps of marching men coming closer and closer. He could see them in his mind's eye. So he paced and he checked on the horses. Leg had never understood the draw that women had on Cucullan, the power they had over him that Cucullin would go north and south and hither and yon at the beck and call of a young woman. Especially when he had a woman like Emer waiting at home. But Cucullin had insisted. He'd insisted that if he broke his word to this woman... No one would ever take the word of a man seriously again. His word was more important than his province. His word was more important than this war. And men gathered from every tribe in Ireland, marching with Queen Maeve against Ulster. Ulster. 
and every fighting man in Ulster under a curse except Cú Cullen, who'd decided to come to Tara to keep a tryst with a woman. Leg asked one of the servants to draw a bath for Cú Cullen, in hopes he'd hear the fires being lit, the water being carried, the sloshing. Might rouse him gently, indirectly, not breaking a gash, pushing up against the side of it. But Cucullin was sleeping like a stone. So Leg went into the kitchens. There was a pot of porridge bubbling. But he asked them, was there something else? Maybe some venison, some lamb, something to roast, something that would fill the place with an aroma. might make a man eager to get out of bed. And while the cooks he'd roused and spoken sharply too, where they were fluttering and they were cooing like doves that had been startled, he turned on his heel and marched outside, too restless to watch them work. He went to check on the horses. Again. The sun was still climbing in the sky, climbing towards noon. It seemed to be moving faster. The grey of Maka came over to greet him. Didn't nip exactly, but lipped at the edge of his cloak in a greeting. And Leg knew the part on the pommel of the horse to scratch. If he got them into their gear now, and hitched them to the chariot now, then by the time Cucullin was awake and fed and bathed and dressed and ready for road, the horses would be wound up, anxious, tired already before they began. He was their charioteer. It was his job to hold that tension for them. So he called to the black, and the black horse trotted over, sniffing for sweets. He gave the black an apple to crunch, found that spot on his neck that the black horse liked to be petted, made a fuss of them, stroked the long white nose of the grey of Maka. They were so vibrantly alive. They were so tangible and real under his hand. But he knew, in a part of him, that black horse had stepped out of smoke and shadows in a haunted valley. And that white horse had stepped fully formed out of a lake. They were barely horses. They were something more. They were Cucullin's horses. And he was Cucullin's charioteer. And it was only times like this, anxious times, when he started to wonder about things like that. Bigger things. Deeper things. He liked to forget. And to treat them as horses let them respond like horses for they did wonderful horses the best of horses and he wasn't going to hitch them to the chariot now he wasn't going to wind them up and leave them anxious he was going to walk back in and see if Cucullin had roused yet try and think was there anything else he could do 
Maybe he could practice hurling up against the wall of Cucullin's bedchamber and that wouldn't quite count as waking him if he just so happened to be hitting a ball up against that particular wall. And it just so happened that the noise roused Cucullin. But he didn't need to. He bit his tongue when he saw Cucullin was up. And by the time Cucullin was ready, sun was high. And he bit his tongue as he hitched the horses to the chariot and turned them north towards the border. And he said nothing. He let that stony silence sit between him and Cucullin. And Cucullin tried to fill it. Talking and talking. And Leigh could hear in his voice that he was a little anxious. All the same. He was looking for reassurance. That he hadn't ruined anything. That he hadn't made the wrong choice. He'd never admit it. He'd never say. But Leigh could hear it. That little note. A little search for reassurance and Leg decided to say nothing. Yes, there was the message Cucullin had left at the border. Yes, Leg had watched him pull up an oak sapling, twist it into a ring. Challenge. That anyone who wanted to cross would have to do the same feat. Cucullin was a warrior just as the horses were horses but Cucullin was something more besides and sometimes Leg didn't think that he knew that that he knew how extraordinary he really was Leg had seen him do that feat had seen him twist an oak sapling into a ring, hang it on a standing stone. But he wondered, if you hadn't seen him do it with his bare hands, you wouldn't credit that it could be done by one man with his bare hands. Especially a whole army, with all your friends at your back to give you courage with all their eyes looking on you and other tribes and other factions looking to see who was going to look a coward who would back down first and so Leg was not surprised when they got to the border and all his worst fears were proven true. And he barely managed not to say, I told you so, when they saw the tracks crossing the border into Ulster. Kilcullen was silent too, and then he looked up at Leg with his two bright eyes and asked him, How many, do you think? Leg took his time following those tracks, looking, 
counting. More than he'd hoped. Less than he'd feared. Seventeen factions, he said. And they weren't moving as one great army, they were moving in smaller groups. And Cucullin couldn't resist correcting him. Now there's eighteen. But one faction's been split up, scattered among the rest. And then he couldn't contain himself any longer and said, And are we going to do something about it? Oh yes, Cucullin said. Oh yes. They followed after the track of the army. Leg could barely bite back the words. Was it worth it? You could have stopped this. You could have headed them off. He saw something change in Cucullin. It wasn't the Riestrad. It wasn't the battle rage. But something in him hardened and straightened. It wasn't the first time the leg had questioned Cucullin's judgement, but this was the first time he thought Cucullin had really got things wrong. The army was in Ulster now that threshold was crossed and it could not be uncrossed. They caught up. And seeing that great army spread out before them gave Leig a chill like he'd never felt. He took a wide track around to keep them hidden. He knew the countryside. He knew where they could go to avoid the eyes of the scouts. There were stragglers. Out ahead, Cucullin fought them and Cucullin won. And it was something. But he knew it wouldn't be enough. Even sending their headless bodies back in chariots wasn't enough to make up for the lapse. A ruined farm. A door swinging on its hinges and the cattle pens empty. The livestock driven off. And Leg looked at Cucullin and almost asked him, where the people were. Did he think they'd gotten out? Were hiding in the forest in the cold? Or were they driven off like their cattle? The day was not long, and they had arrived so late. The evening started to close in before either of them were ready for it and Leg made a cold camp. No fire to alert the men of Ireland to their whereabouts. It was a hard choice in a winter war. Everything was hard in a winter war. The ground frozen. Sky above weeping. Snow or hail or rain. And they could choose to sleep in the chariot up and away from the hard ground that sucked the heat out of your body, but exposed to the wind and the rain and the snow and the hail. Or under the chariot, sheltered from what rain might fall, but 
with the cold ground reaching cold fingers through your cloak, pulling the heat out of your body. He turned to ask Cucullin what kind of misery he'd choose. But Cucullin was gone. Only his slingshot with him. Gone into the cold winter night. And Lake was alone with the horses.